Welcome to Insights into Action from KPMG, where we bring together business professionals and specialists from KPMG and beyond. In each episode, we'll delve into real-world stories and share unique insights that provide tangible actions that will benefit your business and help you navigate today's challenges and tomorrow's opportunities. Welcome to the Insights into Action podcast series. My name is Pete Liddell, and I lead the Global Operations Centre of Excellence for KPMG. In this series of bite-sized episodes, we're going to explore a number of trends that we've identified that will create both challenges and opportunities across global supply chains during 2023. We seek to explore all topics from cybercrime through to sustainability. We'll be unpacking everything that our clients need to know in order to set themselves up for success in 2023 and beyond. In today's episode, we're going to discuss how regulators and other important stakeholders demand focus on Scope 3 emissions control and how this will impact supply chain managers. Joining me today is Blythe Chorn. Blythe is a Managing Director in KPMG's Supply Chain Advisory Practice in the US, where her work focuses on driving enhanced ESG performance in supply chains, working to build more business value through decarbonisation and sustainable business transformations. Welcome, Blythe. Thank you, Pete. Great to be here with you. As part of your background, Blythe, what got you interested in ESG? So I've been in the ESG space broadly for about 15 years now. I've started more focused on the S of ESG, so doing a lot of work in human rights and labor rights deep in the supply chain across a lot of sectors. That work really pushed me to evolve my own thinking about how we make ESG relevant for our clients. So after getting started on the social side, I moved over to working more on the environmental side where it's often a little bit easier to put financial value to ESG performance. If you think, for example, about pricing out the cost of energy, it's a lot simpler to say an energy efficiency project is going to reduce the cost per product sold of X percent and whether that cost reduction gets passed on to a buyer or gets reinvested in a supplier's company, it's easier to show the financial returns and build the business case for doing that work than it is sometimes honestly on the social side. That's a really interesting point. Most organizations, most corporates have stakeholders who are looking for a return, right? So it's yep. easy to switch your mind or understand that executives would be looking for those initiatives or considerations that drive a financial return, but there are many other non-financial factors. Exactly. Do, given that you've been doing this for some time now, mm -hmm. across that 15 years, Blythe, is there a maturity with executives or, or corporates that are now looking to maybe balance both financial and non-financial, or is that really still heavily focused towards the financial indicators? Yeah, I think to some extent that varies by geography. Certainly in regions where we see more regulation, it's a little bit easier, I think, to talk about that balance between financial and non-financial because it's ultimately a compliance opportunity. In the U.S., we are having emerging regulations around Scope 3 and supply chain ESG, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail later. But it's still very much a situation, I think, of not necessarily tension between financial and non-financial, but we see the most opportunity where we can bring those together and make them mutually reinforcing. So where can working on ESG in the supply chain really address business challenges that we're facing in the supply chain? Where can we use enhanced ESG performance to build resiliency, to help suppliers prepare for climate change and work with suppliers to, one, decarbonize to help the overall system address climate change, but then to really build climate resiliency into their operations, 
which helps buyers, therefore, protect their supply chains and their ability to serve their customers. The moment I hear emerging regulations, straight away, you know that there's a regulator. So how do you think that regulators will plan to monitor scope three emissions, but more importantly, through that process, what what potential restrictions could that place on organizations or what challenges might supply chain managers expect to see? I think it goes back to your earlier question about financial versus non-financial, because for decades, a lot of ESG issues have been regulated. We have global voluntary standards around labor rights and human rights and environmental protection, and we see that cascaded through at the federal level. I think what's changed recently is we're now seeing financial regulators stepping in and starting to pass regulations and laws about ESG. And that is, again, bringing these two different areas together and saying, no, these are mutually reinforcing. Um, What that means for supply chain managers is generally a broadening of the aperture, right? We've always talked about what does resiliency mean in terms of the ability to meet your buyer's needs. We've always talked about cost and on-time delivery and quality. And now we're adding additional dimensions to that. We're talking about ESG because we know that it does have financial impacts. And I think the big challenge for supply chain managers is how do you get information on your supply chain's ESG performance? And then number two, how do you actually factor that in? How do you think about the decarbonization efforts of a strategic supplier against their on-time delivery performance? How do you look for those mutually reinforcing opportunities? But how do you also weigh some of those tough decisions that we know our clients are facing every day? I hear a lot about um, the issue of greenwashing. And actually, even today, I was at a consumer and retail seminar. And when ESG was spoken about, bang, straight away, greenwashing comes up as an issue that a lot of organizations still tend to give it lip service. So we speak about emerging regulations. And to me, it's clear that Stricter regulations will mean that greenwashing just won't pass scrutiny going forward. So how can supply chain managers then prove their commitment to building sustainability into the value chain from top to bottom, end to end? The first step really is around credible measurement. And I don't want to understate how challenging we know this is in the value chain. So certainly when we talk about scope three, we're talking upstreams to suppliers. We're also talking the downstreams of, for example, the energy use of your products by consumers. It's very challenging often to see beyond tier one, tier two of your supply chain and to understand where carbon emissions are occurring across the full supply chain. And so the first step really is around developing credible and authoritative carbon accounting methodologies. Certainly, we work with our clients every day and encourage them to use the global protocols that lay out how to approach accounting. But the reality is when you work, for example, with an industrial manufacturer who has 10,000 SKUs, the idea that they are able to source data on the carbon emissions associated across that entire supply chain, it's almost significant enough challenge that I have clients ask me sometimes, am I supposed to stop delivering the widgets and gadgets and become a carbon accounting company? Because we know that it's that big of a lift and an effort. But I think to your point about the greenwashing, Pete, it's one, using those internationally accepted protocols as your guidance for how you're going to jump into scope three accounting. And then two, being very transparent about what the methodology is behind those numbers. So as our clients start to work their way through proving their green initiatives, will these organizations demand more of their supply chain managers? Hopefully not, right? 
<laughs> and this is definitely the challenge and the question that I think a lot of our clients are facing right now is how do we integrate this in a way that is reasonable and realistic for our teams, but really start to transform the way that we think about supply chains. And I think, Pete, this goes back to earlier parts in our conversation where the most success that I've seen clients have with this over the years is those who look for the reinforcing opportunities of ESG. So as a supply chain manager, what are my incentives? What are projects and the programs that I'm working on? What am I trying to drive through the supply chain right now? And then really thinking about how can ESG help me achieve that? For example, we're having huge challenges in the supply chain right now with transparency, knowing where product is because of some of the big blockades that we're seeing at ports and some of the big challenges moving product around. A lot of supply chain managers are spending a lot of time working on the question, where is product and how do I get it from where it's available to where my customers are actually demanding it? ES work on ESG can be supportive of addressing transparency questions because ESG really forces you to look upstream and understand not just who your tier one suppliers are, but who those tier X suppliers are, right? So while yes, I think for a lot of supply chain managers, it's going to feel like, oh my gosh, here's one more thing I have to work on every day, where we really try to encourage our clients to think about is, how can these be mutually reinforcing? Um, you're not going to figure it all out on day one. So where are we going to start? And how can we help use ESG to obviously meet regulatory standards, meet your customer standards and stakeholder expectations while also helping you achieve your business objectives? Again, as I was listening, I'm just thinking back to a great report that KPMG released back in mid-2021. It was a joint report with finance and, and operations. It interviewed over a thousand finance and ops executives. It was titled The Value of Connection. One of the key findings that came out of it that we weren't expecting was the ESG say-do gap. So it was the gap between senior executives in the organization and their releasing of strategic intent with regards to responding to ESG, whether it be regulatory driven or otherwise, but the significant gap between that level and the rest of the organization. So that report was almost two years old. Blythe, do you think that corporates have moved on or do you think we're still at that first stage and there is quite a significant gap between the strategic objectives of executives, but the ability of the organization to get on with it and deliver it? Yeah, I don't want to sound pessimistic, but I would say there's still a pretty significant gap. And the rationale for that is pretty well understood, right? As supply chain managers, I think a lot of our clients have been spending the last three years digging out of COVID. And the disruptions that COVID caused in the supply chain and even some of the greater business shifts that we're all dealing with right now. You talked about consumer and retail earlier, the shift to omni-channel. I was talking to a client the other day about the impact of social media on their supply chain and their inventory planning. And they were telling me, I feel like I have a supply chain that functions incredibly well for pre-COVID and pre-TikTok. But now we'll have an influencer talk about our product on TikTok and all of a sudden I cannot get inventory to the right places to meet that demand fast enough. And so I think we're in a new supply chain area, even taking ESG out of the picture. And that does create this, this gap because we know supply chain managers are completely overwhelmed trying to readjust and rebuild supply chains to reflect some of this disruption that's occurring anyway. Yeah, that's an interesting point you raised. So Blythe, you know, for those who are in my part of the world, I'm in the Asia Pacific region, but even those supply chain managers that are listening that are in any part of the world that really haven't 
started yet or it just hasn't been a consideration, it, it is going to come. So whether it's the financial or other regulators, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to those supply chain managers? What actions maybe could they start now to get themselves ready and prepared or start that response if it's already coming at them? So a few thoughts. One, we often see industry groups coming together to work on supply chain ESG issues. I think it's born out of a recognition that if you are 2% of a supplier's revenue, it's hard for you individually as a company to really push behavior change in that supplier. But when you get your five largest industry peers via an industry association to work pre-competitively to say, this is where we want to see this industry supply chain go, then all of a sudden you've got some buying pressure to exert on your suppliers to say this really is important and not just to me, but this is increasingly part of how we do business in this industry. Number two, I would say, is starting to think about how you segment your supply chain. I always use the trash can example, for instance. So there are a lot of different suppliers of trash cans, and they are probably not that material or strategic of a supply for your business, unless perhaps you're in janitorial services. We're probably not going to think about the emissions or the ESG impact of the trash can that you buy that goes in everybody's offices around your corporate headquarters. On the flip side, there may be one supplier that is able to provide a specific two-spec component for a highly technologically advanced product that you're taking to market. If your business is reliant on that supplier, then that's where you want to start looking at, working on, communicating expectations around ESG, because it is critical for your business resiliency. You're not going to want to step away from that supplier. You're not going to make a procurement change And so those are the places that you're going to want to get started first. Blythe, thank you so much. It's been really interesting to listen to your experience. And I've personally learned a lot from your insights. And I'm sure supply chain managers and everyone else who listened to this podcast will certainly get a lot out of your experience. If you'd like to explore how increased scrutiny of Scope 3 emissions is forcing supply chain managers to act, you can read our report, Supply Chain Trends Shaking Up 2023. Access via the link in the description. Here you'll also find an overview of the other trends we've explored as part of this podcast series. You can also get in touch with myself or Blythe directly should you have any further questions or you'd like to discuss any of the issues we've raised today or how we can help you to navigate the challenges, but also explore those opportunities that do come with ongoing change and disruption. Simply get in touch with us via the links in this report. You can listen right now to our other episodes discussing 2023 supply chain trends wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, Blythe, my sincere thanks once again, and thanks to all those for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insights Into Action. Please visit our website for more advisory insights and all the other episodes in the series. Make sure to subscribe through your podcast provider so you're alerted for any new episodes, and check out the other podcasts available from KPMG. Thank you, and see you next time.